Welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm enthusiastic. I'm exceptionally enthusiastic today. I'm talking to Miss Amanda Hamilton. How are you, Amanda? I am good, Tyler. How are you? That's good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And in typical Calgary fashion, we took five minutes to realize that we actually shared the same office building 12 years ago. Like, this is the biggest small town I've ever lived in. It happens over and over and over again. It's like zero degrees of separation at all times. Yeah. I'm going to use the word incestuous, but not in a bad, weird, creepy way. Uh, It's such a great city. We'll talk about this in terms of a place to build a business versus other parts of the world or even other parts of the country. Like, Calgary, if you can provide value, there's opportunity here. And I, you know, knowing your story a little bit, and it's what we're going to get into to today, you feel like you've really kind of leaned in on, I believe, what Calgary is, which provides opportunity for entrepreneurs like you and I to start businesses. Absolutely. Except don't tell anyone that I'm not uh, born and bred in Calgary, hey? Well, you're, well, <laughs> well I'm not either. So is, are we, is it a secret? Are we, are we bearing of the secrets? Is that the word? Man, we got into that. It took us two minutes. <laughs> I know. We're, um, not, we're not telling anyone that I was born and raised in Edmonton, right? Oh, well, see, I was across the country. So like the That's Montreal, fair. Edmonton. Oh, okay. I, I see where that might be problematic. But anyway, let's, <laughs> not, uh, let's not go off the rails too soon and get into a hockey team conversation or something like that. <laughs> Amanda Hamilton, interior design. Let's start there. If someone hasn't, which is hard to believe, hasn't had a chance to know you, meet you, or understand what you do, let's go with the, we're on the elevator. We, we're going a couple floors. What's, a, what, what's, what's your business? Oh, you know, it, it's always so hard to, to talk about this in a way that sounds like, oh, I'm an interior designer. I mean, I think the thing is, is like, I grew up as a visual artist. That was always my strength. I was also a performer and a musician. And I think ultimately what I started moving towards was the idea that I I practice art in the 3D. So I create space, commercial spaces, residential spaces, um, using a lot of the same sort of standards that you would use when you're creating a piece of art. So you're you're thinking about balance and repetition, repetition and color and scale. And so I really see the world and experience the world in a very sort of 3D way. And, and, you know, so that's interior design and it's, it's my, it's my art in the environment, if that makes sense. It's the world's worst elevator pitch for sure. No, I would, I would, I'd be creepy. I'd get (laughs) off on the floor with you be like, okay, you got me all like, can can you tell me, can you tell me more? Which is really the ultimate elevator. Are they going to keep stalking (laughs) you and want to learn more afterwards? I'm like, sir, could you please stop following me? This is getting awkward. No, no, no. Seriously, tell me more. You're super interesting. <laughs> See, that's well, the, the podcast provides a safe distance. So we're in a safe space yes. now. So that's good. Yes. Not, not too weird. Very interesting. I see the world in a 3D way. And for so many people, I think that's really hard to do conceptually. Like if you're not able yeah. to do that, I think that feels a little bit intimidating, right? Why Why designing your home? And we can talk about this. I built a couple new homes back about years ago. And they give me a one inch by one inch square and I'm supposed to conceptualize this in, in my logical linear brain. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm going to screw it up. Like that's a, it can be a pretty intimidating, overwhelming journey for people. And I, and I think the thing that I, I find the most challenging is that there's this idea that if you're not in a typically creative industry, people say, I'm not creative. And, and, you know, and, and in general, they do have troubles visualizing things. Um, but, but I see that all in my head. I mean, I can see an entire space inside my head without ever having to draw anything on a piece of paper. I think it's just a skill set. But I actually think everybody's creative to a certain extent. It's just that they say what you say, like, I'm very linear. I see things, you know, in black and white. Um, and I think it's just the way that the brain pulls these pieces together. A lot of interior designers are very good at 
um, seeing patterns. They're good at doing puzzles. Like I love a jigsaw puzzle, right? Because it's <laughs> you, like, you, yeah, you're, you're my, you and my wife for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like you're bringing these pieces together. You're recognizing sort of patterns and things like that. And you're seeing everything come to one holistic, complete final vision. So I think I, it's, it's a skill set like anybody else's skill set. Well, I, I love what you say. And it's also like, like anything, it's a muscle. If you practice it, yes. you immediately shut it down and like, you know, tell your, tell your five-year-old you're terrible at drawing. You suck. Well, they're going to believe that's true, but it's fundamentally at that point, I believe, you know, some people might be bent more towards it. Some not. So when you work with clients, yeah. do you actually help them come out of that shell a little bit and get in the process with you? Is that, is it, is it collaborative that way? I'm assuming yes. It's super collaborative. And, and actually one of our, our core values is, is really to, um, it's, it's basically to come at everything with an academic mindset, right? So we're in the process, we're learning, but we're also learning alongside our clients and we're teaching them too. So the goal is always when a client comes in, we want to leave them with a better design edu education um, afterwards than they came to us with, right? So it is our job to sort of lead them through this process and help them visualize. And in so many occasions, I've had clients, like, I've actually had several clients who have gone to design school afterwards because they loved the process so much. Um, and a lot of them, you know, got more involved in into art and um, different topics that we sort of dug into through the process that they started to resonate with that they had never, you know, even known about before. So it's it's super rewarding that way. That must, yeah, that that must make your heart. There must be a certain like maternal pride that comes when your clients like, well. I don't know if this might sound weird, but can you recommend a design school? Cause I'm really into it after my experience with you. Like that must be awesome. Actually. It makes me feel good. Just hearing that you, you say that. Yeah. Except that I'm like, no, no, you don't go back to school. You come back to me. No, I'm just joking. No, well, it's you're always that. hopefully going to be the sage, the sage leader to come. Say, well, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Learner. Yeah. To be yeah, absolutely appre apprentice learner. And yeah. well, I have so many, so many questions. My curiosity is running, running amok. How long have you been doing the business? How long have you guys been doing your thing? Um, I've been practicing design now for 15 years, which makes me feel very old. I graduated in 2005 and um, I've had my company for 14 years, um, but formally incorporated for 12 years. I did some, I did work for a company for about three years and then um, I did some moonlighting on the side, which they found out about, but it Ooh, really, a, a, yeah. a, a moment, a TSN turning point. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm sure we'll dig into that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been 15 years of doing this, which I think sometimes people find it um, hard to believe, but yeah, it's been a long time. Well, in, in today's, I don't even know what the numbers are. I'm just, I'm just bullshitting here, but like, that's like four or five, like life cycles, like 15 years, <laughs> even if you break it down into, you know, a lot of resumes, you know, that 18 to 24 months and we're doing something else and to stick with yeah. something. I think there's a lot of, you know, I'm, it's 15 years, but I'm sure none of it's been the same. So in terms of like, you no. know, what was the first five years versus the last, how, how did you get into it? Like you're an entrepreneur, which is. I don't know about you, but way more popular of a concept now than it was 20 years ago when you and I might've been in school. Not that I'm dating each other, not that I'm saying we are a certain age. <laughs> if I went to my guidance counselor back a few years ago in the nineties and said, I want to be an entrepreneur, they would kind of send you to remedial school because no one, like that was what you did when you blew it at everything else. But it's yeah. become such a more popular journey these days. So curious for yourself was being an entrepreneur, I want to do my own thing. Was that a driver? Did you grow up in that environment? Like how did you end up the Amanda Hamilton successful entrepreneur that you are today? I, this is such a great question. I always love answering it because I think, you know, we chatted about this. Our personal stories have so much to do with this. So I didn't know what the word entrepreneur was. I did not grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. I grew up in a family of teachers and educators. Um, so completely different mindset, right? Completely different background, completely different mindset. 
I'm sometimes I'm like, am I an alien? Like, did I just get dropped <laughs> off in that family? Um, and, and I never, I actually, even with interior design, I didn't discover the idea or concept of interior design until I was in my second year of university. I was going to the U of A in general arts and bombing courses. Like I literally got put on academic probation in my second year. Cause I was so bored. I was doing like these very generalized courses. I hadn't figured out exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, in the past, I had considered things like you going into acting, hosting, television. I mean, at one point, I wanted to be a lawyer, which it's a good thing I didn't go in and do that. It would be way too stressful for me. Um, you know, there was a number of things, but you know, interior design and and being an entrepreneur were not on the plate. So, um, I eventually found out about interior design. I moved from Edmonton to Calgary. That's what brought me here because I could get a degree in interior design and come from a family of educators. So that was very important. Like university was a sort of standard and um, took a four year interior design course that was condensed in three years um, at Mount Royal and um, and then was working for another company for about three years. And I, it was actually a client. He was sort of the, the catalyst. I was working and doing like 5,000 square foot restaurants on the side while I was working more than full time at my day job and also working three days a week closing at a restaurant. So, um, you know, that word hustle, like, which I think is much overused. It now, is a very that, trendy word. It's a very trendy word right now. Yeah, that is actually the hustle, you know, working a 90 to 100 hour week or whatever it was. Um, and so it was actually him that was like, why don't you just go on your own? Like, I honestly had really never considered it. In hindsight, looking back, though, like, I was student council president. I was generally the the bossy kid that was, you know, you know, organizing people. A lot of leaders have, you know, are recovering bossy assholes as children. Did you, have you talked to some of my old teachers and read some of my old report cards? <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I, I, sounds strangely yeah. familiar. <laughs> it's like, were you in the chatterbox as much as I was? Because oh I spent God. a lot of time in the chatterbox. But, you know, I think you look back and in hindsight, you go, well, yes, like this person was on a path to entrepreneurship, but it really did not happen that way to me. For me, it was very organic. I, and, but I, I love that there was an individual. Like when you look back, like my life makes a lot more sense when I reverse engineer it. At the time I was yeah. doing here and I was going there. But when I look back, I'm like, oh, that led to that learning, which then led to that passion. And, but along the way there was, there was individuals. So obviously you said that one individual, it's just like one planted the seed. But when you get into yeah. business, it's a set of skills that like are often trial by fire. So did you, are you like, do you get, do you have coaches? Do you believe in surrounding yourself with those people? Or are you like, do you just get the book, devour it, learn how to learn how to do do the thing what's been your process through the journey because entrepreneurship doesn't have a handbook it does now yeah. but i still think some of those courses set you up but you still got to do the thing <laughs> that is that is a great question so um i i think it's fair to mention that i started my business in the middle of the recession in 2009 um, with no savings and no business experience. Um, I had no business running a business. Um, what I discovered though, <laughs> is that there was still a need for my services. Um, and I was actually able to like have a really break breakout career at that point. I really started doing a lot of um, restaurant design because I had experience in the restaurant industry. I'd worked for it for seven years. It, it paid for my university. 
Um, you know, so that that's sort of how I how I got my start. But you know, I always love the question about mentors. It, that is something that I'm still struggling with getting. I do a lot of mm. mentoring, okay. and it's funny enough. I actually have a meeting with someone today about it. But I think that's because I about being, am, being one or, or being one or doing one. Because I do appreciate those okay. are two dynamics. I'd like to unpack that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I do. I do have. I do have um, students that I mentor every single year. But this is a mentor for me. Um, but I, I'm a, I'm a bookworm. So I consume a lot of words and whether it's in books, audiobooks, podcasts, you know, whatever it is. And so that's really how I've, how I've taught myself. Um, whereas I, I, but I really do see the value of mentors. It's just that I haven't had a lot of them formally in my own life. That's interesting. And so from a, just curious, how many books a year are you, are you one of, are you one of those? Do you have a, do you have a tally? Yeah, I do. Okay, Come my on, goal, do it. My goal, my goal for 2020 was 60. And to be fair, I haven't actually added, I think I read about 45 to 55 books last year. So I'm, I'm, I'm crushing, I'm crushing books, but, but I really love to read. And I, I think even if you take one single nugget that becomes incredibly powerful for your life, then the eight to 12 hours that you took or whatever to read that book is, is 100% worth it. Okay. And I have a question for you out of that, yeah. out of that 60 number, my wife is a book machine as well. Like I hit 25 yeah. a year. I'm cheering. My wife yeah, blows through 50. Yeah. You, my wife are the same <laughs> on that one. You're doing crosswords and you're, and, and you're reading books. Uh, when you do an audiobook, do you count that as a red book or, or do you lump it together or do you do audiobooks? I had this debate with someone the other day and they're like, oh, well, I, I want to be honest. This. 10 of those were, 10 of those were audio. I'm like, I'm not going to shame you. It's okay. But they're like, I just felt like I was lying to you. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So I only discovered podcasts and audiobooks early last year and only started doing audiobooks about halfway through this past year. I used to think it was cheating. It's not cheating. I think that the audiobook is just another way to consume information. Like I, I know people who love like documentaries and to me that's like you're consuming information and you're learning. And when you're like me and you spend a lot of time in your car driving to meetings and things like that, that is that is that is the 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 car university. Like let's pop on a book. <laughs> Windshield university, I agree totally. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I don't think it's cheating and, and I think people, yeah, they define it's like, no, you need to sit down in a chair and have a sore ass while you're reading and bad lighting and no, I mean, I do that too. Um, so as an example, I have, I sort of have a rule. If I'm reading um, a memoir or something like that, that it's more, it's more entertaining or it's fiction, um, you know, f audiobook is fine. But a business book or a self-help book where like I'm somebody who writes in the margins and I highlight and I dog ear the pages, 100% that has to be a physical book. And I like collecting books. Um, so even if I listen to it on audiobook, I will often buy a hard copy of the book because I like to oh, go back okay. and reference it. Yeah. That's, a, that's such a great example about like, oh, books are dead and everything's going to electronic. No, there's still a tangible, feel it, touch it. I kind of did a reorg. One of my goals for the, for the, for the holidays was to reorg my bookshelf because books were piling up around the house and I had a bookshelf that has books on it that I've been saving for years. So I let some of them go free to the little free libraries in my neighborhood. So it's almost yeah. like donating. I felt good about it. And now I have room for some of my books that are going to be read this year on my bookshelf. It was a weird, but then I got all sentimental as I was going through them and didn't want to get rid of yeah. anything. <laughs> I have over the last time I counted, which was over a year ago, I have over 150 books that I've purchased and haven't read yet. So 
Like I can't just put them in the cart. I need to put them on the shelf because what I find is we go through different phases in the year where all of a sudden you start focusing on another thing. Like I'm writing a book right now. So I devoured a ton of memoir this year um, because I'm writing a memoir, right? I needed to get That's no easy task. Good for you. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's due. uh, It's due on Monday. Oh wow! Okay, can we share a name? Can we can we let the cat out of the bag? This so it'll probably if it's due on Monday, this will air after that. This will probably air like towards someone will be listening the end of January or beginning. Yeah, of so so it is launching September twenty eighth, twenty twenty one, and the book is called Not That Likable, um, and it kind of it's it's basically the subtitle is um, and and the stories that I told myself. So it's it's really about these ideas and these stories we work up throughout the course of our life that that sort of start to define us and define our decisions. And then it's a little bit of a sort of coming to age and working through some of those things. So it's a satirical memoir. There are some pretty funny chapters. Um, it goes, it goes pretty sideways here and there. Um, but yeah, September so, next year, sense. September this year, sorry, September, this year, it's yeah. 2021. <laughs> so, hey, I think you really touched on something that's a great um, imposter syndrome, negative self-talk. Yeah stories we tell each other, we, we tell ourselves, halluc- halluc- I call them hallucinations. Like I'll think about something. I'm like, I just hallucinated that whole scenario and it's complete bullshit. Talk about like, like I love the human side of that because, oh, you're yeah. an entrepreneur. Like, I, my wife and I years ago, we got into a conversation. She goes, well, you'd never know because you're always confident. I was like, what? I said, don't mistake action for my brain going, oh my God, what the hell am I doing? But I took the action anyways. And it was funny how sometimes it looks from the outside. You look look fearless. But meanwhile, your brain is going, what? So share a little bit of that journey. I think that's so, let people inside that one. I actually had somebody reach out to me the other day on, she sent me a DM on Instagram saying like, I remember when you posted that you dealt with imposter syndrome. And she's like, oh my God, if you deal with it, it's okay for me to deal with it. And I, like you said, I think people have this assumption that as an entrepreneur, the way we show up, like I'm, I'm an introvert stuck in an extrovert's body. I'm very good at performing. That's my background, right? I do public speaking, but man, my self-talk, it's something I'm really working on this year. Like my self-talk is like everybody else's self-talk. Like I, I question the same things. I'm curious about the same things. I come down on myself. I come off as being confident, but I, I deal with, you know, I struggle with that sort of self-worth piece a lot. And so I, I think, I think that human side though, to entrepreneurship is so important because I think Like for years, I really had a lot of trouble calling myself an entrepreneur. Like that felt like a a total imposter. And, and, and I had to, somebody called me, a woman called me out on it. And I had to come around with the idea that like I was deserving of this title. But I also think what makes you deserving is the fact that you do question things. You don't just boldly go forward and be like, I am the CEO of my one person company and I'm the shit. No, like you're like, I, I have my I have my faults and I have the things I need to work on and I'm aware of them. I have self-awareness, um, but I can also be confident and say like, this is something I love and this is something that I do, but I'm human like everyone else. Do you feel, I, I feel that's, that's, it's a lot more popular to be human now than it even was 15 years ago, 10, 10 years ago. Like I think we're on a really good path. Self-awareness mm-hmm. is an amazing thing. Sharing self-awareness just helps other people be self-aware. But there was a long time that we just, we stuffed it, we stuffed it down. We joked earlier, like we live in conservative Alberta. <laughs> and <Yeah>. sometimes <laughs> that sharing of feelings is not appreciated. Like, you know, there's no crying in baseball or whatever the joke. Like it, it, being human is something that it's interesting. It's like the, even the right or left side, the conceptual like business, no business 
is hard and it's linear mm -hmm. and there's no emotions required. But yet it's a bunch of humans doing business and humans are emotional, messy mess, like messy messes. Sorry, that's not a thing. But that that ability to share that and let other people see, like you said, if you, if you can feel that way, then it gives me permission. And I think that's such a huge factor. I think, I think, you know, social media has, has, <laughs> and I would say that there are some bad examples of oversharing, but I do think that social media has given us access to people we wouldn't normally have access to. And I do think that there's a balance. Like, yes, I share about my work, but no, I don't go into my personal, personal details because I'm actually quite private, despite the fact that my, my persona is quite public online. But the, the feedback and the comments and the follow-up that I get from people that is the most valuable is always when I've gotten vulnerable. It's always someone saying, thank you so much for saying that today, or you have no idea how much that means to me. And again, that's how I feel about like it, about the book things. If one person reaches out to you and says like that actually changed my day, my week, my life, my perspective. I've had people be like, I literally switched jobs after you said that. That is incredibly meaningful and we never know who we're going to impact. And they often, these people don't even reach out, right? So sometimes it's, it's just about letting go of our own shit and being like, I'm going to put this out there hoping that it helps someone. Oh, that's, I, I love it. And even sometimes with the podcast, someone will call me and be like, hey, remember on that show where you said that thing to that person and they said this back that really impacted me? And I'm like... I don't remember that part of the conversation I don't remember. at all. Right? Like, I'm like, <laughs> that's amazing. Tell me more. What, like, what did you take out of it? How did it mean to you, man? I can last weeks and weeks and weeks on a, like one of those comments. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. I'm going to ask a question, and I have a lot of people on the show because I think it's such an important thing to be brought forward. Has there been any challenges? Has anything ever held you back being a woman in business? Because I don't believe it should. And if it has, that's ridiculous. But I do believe it still happens, and we need to get these things out so they stop happening. Has that ever been a thing for you? Has that ever been a, a factor? It's interesting because I don't work in a corporate environment. I would say that it's a little different, but I also grew up in a family of very strong female women, female women, of course, female women. That makes no sense, but strong, <laughs> but strong it, but women. It, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Strong women, you know, my grandma has her, her master's degree, my aunt has her master's and her PhD, education has always been a focus. Um, you know, being a strong, independent, powerful woman has always been something I have encouraged to be. So, you know, in that sense, I have always felt like I deserved a seat at the table. You know, I've always felt like an equal, but I'm also very aware of the fact that um, I am a, a middle-class white female growing up in Alberta, right? You know, my yeah, my circumstances are very different than say someone else's. Um, I think where I see it is, yes, I'm in a female dominant industry. So most interior designers are women. That is a fact. It is changing, but it's still incredibly dominant, female dominant. Um, but where it's not, is all the people we work with. So almost all of my consultants, mechanical, electrical, architectural, structural, kitchen consultants, men. Construction sites, contractors, men. Trades, predominantly men. And when I was first starting out my career, that's when I really struggled. So, um, and this is, this, is, this is not to make me feel good, but I'm just one of those people that looks younger than I actually am. You can see me on video. Like I'm almost, I I'm almost 40. My whole family just looks really young. We've got baby faces. And so my age- that's, Hey, that's the genetic lottery right there. Never apologize <laughs> for that. That's a, that's a winning formula. Damn, no, her like, and her, damn her and her young genetics. Uh, 
I feel like I've honestly underneath my eyes though. I feel like the last year has like aged me. Like I'm obsessing with my eyes. But anyways, what has, what had happened to me is that I'm on these site with generally very traditional industries, men and, and did not receive respect to start. It was really hard. So it didn't matter how talented I was or how on the ball I was. It was like, what do you know? Luckily now we have over time, and this is what happens. You build a reputation, you build more knowledge and aha, you build more confidence. You know, I see this in my junior designers. They come in, they're very talented. Um, but when you lack knowledge, you tend to lack confidence. And as you gain that knowledge um, and you feel good with being able to express it, that's when the confidence comes. And so that's been a biggest, that's been the biggest struggle. I would say though, I very rarely have to deal with that now. Um, but I also have a zero tolerance for it. It's, it's even in our contract. We have a karma clause. Like if you're a dick, you get fired. That's like don't literally- be a, don't, be a, don't be an asshole. <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah, I, like, I like that you call it a karma clause. It could be called a no asshole policy, but yeah, no, no, yeah. no assholes. I was reading an employment or um, uh, employee handbook for some agency down in the states, and they had like we have a no asshole policy, and it was right there. And I was like, I love it. I, I don't even have to yeah. read it, and I and I already like, and I already love it's it. It's very straightforward, and and I approach the studio the same way. My my team is very close knit. Um, super respectful, lots of transparency. I encourage them to deal with problems on their own. It's like, it's just, it's respect. It's mutual respect. We're all working towards the same direction. Yes. We're humans having a shared experience. So yeah. interesting. You talk, I love what, I love that just bringing the layer very quickly, your interior design, but you also, you work in construction, like you build, you build things. Yeah. And yes. it's good to, you know, like, I think the interior design sometimes can look like, I'm not minimizing it, like the shiny, beautiful, but very quickly behind it, there's sawdust and mess and drywall and teardowns and all the reality. So I'm curious, in an industry, I've had a lot of people on in the construction industry, and some people might send me some hate mail, but that's okay, because that means they're listening, <laughs> has been slow to evolve from a technology, from an innovation perspective. Yes. And I, I look at your business, I see vertical integration, I see multiple products, I see a business and an individual, this is me interpreting from the outside, look in, someone who's always looking for a new and better way to do things. So maybe talk a little bit like what's that journey been like for you, maybe in an industry that, and maybe tell me I'm wrong, that actually the construction industry is really innovative and doing things in new ways. Like what's that contradiction been like of you pushing what clearly looks like the envelope of new ways of doing it in an industry that's like, nope, we've always put it up this way and that's the way we're going to, so that's a yeah. bad imitation of the, of the construction guy. What's that been like for you? Well, it's interesting because I actually think the interior design industry is very traditional and it's not okay. a very old industry really interior design used to be practiced by like structural engineers and architects and you know or an it was, it was on the corner of somebody's desk right it was a bolt-on <laughs> yeah exactly and i think that there is this idea you know there's people don't understand the difference between um interior decorating and interior design interior design is is very much like it, it's the best way to explain is like the architect deals with like the shell and the exterior and the interior designer deals with the interior, except there's a ton of crossover. So a lot of the times the architect is designing the interiors and then we're coming in. But then also same for us, you know, we often will deal with exterior finishes and materials, lighting, hardware, um, you know, we'll do development permits where we're doing extensions and things like that. So it, it really is this sort of symbiotic relationship. And then you've got all the consultants that are coming in and working with you. Um, but yeah, so when I launched um, uh, Amanda Hamilton Interior Design, you know, we dabbled in construction a few years in, but it just, we weren't managing it properly. It was too stressful for the designers. And now we've, we've started it again because I've got the right person in the right seat, right? So I went to school funny, with her. Funny, she, how, funny how that works. <laughs> exactly. And she, she, her and I went to school together. She's an interior designer. 
but she loves construction. I have never met, for the first time, I found another interior designer who knows more about construction than I do. And she is so good. She's so great at managing the trades. And I love the fact that we've got like a woman contractor coming in and managing the trades. And wow, is it a different site. You know, the things that we used to deal with the, the, the sometimes the traditional like the traditional rage and anger and things are crazy like that's not what our sites look like you know um and again I'm not I don't want to generalize I'm very much conscious of the fact I'm not one of the, I'm not a woman who is like a, a man like oh the men they're all bad that is not the case but you're right construction can be fairly traditional um it is changing I think what we do is and what entrepreneurs do in general and interior designers do a lot of this we're problem solvers so our big thing is, is seeing pain points. The thing that I struggle with the most with construction is the comment, it can't be done. That can't be done. Um, cutting corners, it can't be done. Actually, everything can be done. And we like to be solutions-based. So we like to come to a client, here are three different solutions. I'm not saying everything is feasible, but there is generally a solution for every single thing if you can just think about it creatively and be open to the idea that things can be done a little bit differently than they have been done before. Um, I have on many occasions had people be like, well, we can't do this. And I'm like, I literally just did this like a week ago. Let me show you how I did it. Like, right. Wait, it, which can be really fun conversations, depending like that's the skill of, you know, you're trying to ram something through uh, influence the art of getting what we want. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I think it's, it's about having open, transparent, respectful conversation though. And, and so back, we surround back to your, back to your karma clause, like, let's just talk it through. We're on, we're in this together. I'm like that with clients too. You know, like I will call out a client. I'll be like, you let this fester and now it's a big issue. Right. You've let this fester and now you're angry about this when we could have had a conversation a month ago about this. Like we have a long sales cycle with our clients, which I would imagine in your business is, is certain, you know, to a certain extent is like that. It, it can know? be years like for, for the size of a client from yeah. a relationship to an actual working together. Yeah, it could be six months. It could you be six are, weeks. You're going to fuck up at more. some point. You are going to, we are human. So it's like, let's just yeah. hop on the phone and have a conversation, not long emails six weeks later that has a list of things that now you can't even address because they're and, so old. And, and, and some all caps and some exclamation marks. Not helpful. <laughs> not helpful. No, no. I do like you said, we're, we're humans. We fuck up. And when you've got a, especially something conceptual, where there's a lot of stuff moving around. There's a lot of like, well, I thought you meant this. I thought you meant that. Yes. The only way to solve that is a conversation. The yes. only way. I mean, luckily so it, we now have, a, we, we have amazing clients who come to us because they trust us. So we don't have to deal with that as much as we had two years ago. Um, in that sense, I feel very lucky for the evolution of my business. I even like your, the studio that does cool projects with stylish people. I'm like, am yeah. I stylish enough to work with Amanda Hamilton? Like I love this. I don't I love know. Are you? It's, it's super clear. <laughs> well, we'll, well, well, we'll see how, we'll see how this podcast plays out. We'll go from there. Yeah. Um, no, I, I do. I do love, I'm a marketer. Be very, very specific. Know who's your customer, know who you serve best and just do it all. Like to be willing to be, to be loved. You have to, it has to be okay to be hated. That's, that's not what we're talking about in business, but someone needs to look at you and go, you're not for me. But yeah. we try to be too generic. No, we're for everybody. No, you're not. You're just physically or not possibly for everybody. And that's hard for business owners because no, we don't like to say no in the early days. Sometimes we can't say no because we got yeah. payroll, we have rent, we have real things. 
And that was the same thing when we first started out and the advice I give anybody else who's just starting out, I'm like, take all the jobs, like within reason, <laughs> but take all the jobs, you know? And then over time you learn what clients are appropriate for you. There's still every year I make a mistake where I'm like, oh, I knew that client wasn't right for me. And it always comes back to bite you in the ass. And it, you never, you never like, you don't get anything out of it. You don't get a referral. You don't get a review. Like, you know, the client, like it just happens. And so I think the more we can like learn to trust our guts and go, you're just not the right fit for us or vice versa. Like it, it's, it just sets up your business. And honestly, it shows respect to that client too, saying like, I'm not going to make you happy, but here's somebody that will make you happy. Yeah, no, it's back, it's back to what you said earlier. Like over time though, you develop, you know, you get some information, you develop a little knowledge and hopefully it works its way to become wisdom. And that's where you're like, you walk out of a meeting, you're like, we can win it, but we shouldn't. And you know, like yeah. you totally know. And sometimes you do it anyways. And you're like, shit. I knew better. Like, really? Come on. But it's, it does take time. And at the beginning you've like, Hey, I've driven, driven across the province for a $1,500 check to do a project for somebody I should have never worked for. But it yeah. was 15 years ago and we needed to pay, make rent. Like, you know, we just needed to do it. Got, so we did. Gotta we, make we, we, we joke. Yeah, absolutely. Like there are certain realities of like, yes, I want to follow my purpose and my why, but man, I really need to not get kicked out of my office right the next month. for not Exactly. Exactly. And we all have those stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what defines and that's what gives you a little bit of the, uh, maybe the gray hairs or the wrinkles. Not not for me anyways. I'm just saying for me. Oh, I got Um, some gray hairs and I got some wrinkles too. (laughs) Just in the last year though, I'm not kidding you. I swear. That's slowly and slowly and all of a sudden. Talk to me a little bit about your business. What I love looking in from the outside as a business guy, I'm like, wow, I love, you've got products, you've got, it's in, it's integrated. So it clearly, to me, there seems like there's, you, you've earned a couple of those gray hairs. There's been a lot of deliberate thinking in terms of like, sometimes as a service business, pure service business, it's tough when you don't yeah. have a product, you don't have something that's reoccurring. You get a big project, then you finish it. Then you have to get another one. It feels to me from the outside that you've put some real thought into creating a business that's a little bit more resilient, a little more balanced. Is that, is that what is that a fair interpretation? And and I have to say, I mean, it probably wasn't always like that. I mean, I was not, you know, early in my career, like a lot of entrepreneurs, you're not as focused sometimes on, on your numbers and the things that are tough and the things that are like, you're like, I don't really want to review this thing from the accountant. Um, And then you go through these ebbs and flows and you're like, I never want to be there again, where I had to cash in my RRSPs to pay for my payroll. I'm not doing that again. Right. So you learn, you learn pain pain is a powerful teacher. (laughs) Yes, it certainly is. And you kind of have to go through those things. I, this is where I feel like you don't learn how to run a business by going to school. You learn how to run a business. This is my personal opinion by going through those experiences. Um, and so, you know, I think you go through these, these pain points and they, I've already lost my train of thought here. You know, this is what happens. We go off on these tangents and then like, what, what did you just ask me? But it's all a perfectly architected conversation. Um, right. I'll, I'll make it easy. A vertical tell stacking. Pallet. Yeah, tell me about Pallet. I'm on your. I'm on Pallet archives right now. Yeah. It looks super cool. I saw it and I'm like, oh wow! Like somebody, somebody yeah. created a really cool product that isn't just a service based business. You you did the thing and you kind of got yeah. maybe broke out of the yes. project based do the thing. And I and I, I love I loved it, but I'd love to hear maybe even like how did you get to it? How did it come to be? <laughs> yeah. So I think yeah, going back to like being in a service service based business, how I look at my business now and how I've been looking at it for probably the last five years is that I am an entrepreneur and business owner first and an interior designer second. And sometimes that's hard to admit because people are like, well, no, you're a creative. And it's like, I still am. But I believe that creative people, all people, but specifically creative people, 
deserve to be paid for their work. We're always asked to do things for free. No, I need to earn a living. And if my clients don't want me to make money, then they're probably not the right fit for me because we all want each other to succeed, right? So it's about being fair, but it's also to me about thinking about different avenues for revenue. So Palette Archives kind of was born out of that. It's an, it's an e-commerce startup. And this is the one where the elevator pitch is easy because we've basically got interior design curated finishes and materials palettes that ship right to your door. So we're democratizing design by providing access to design in more cost-effective ways. So sort of bridging that gap between hiring an interior designer and doing it yourself. So Amanda Hamilton Interior Design We've got those clients that want that very, you know, super hands-on experience. They tend to be bigger projects. Whereas Palette Archives, you can go on and you can get your finishes and materials online for around $100. You know, we're doing a lot of testing right now. So prices are changing here and there based on the testing that we're doing. And and so, so that was number one, democratizing design. But number two was that I saw this, again, we're problem solvers. I saw this niche in the market that was not being served. So people are doing home renovations all the time. They're running all over the city, trying to pick up stuff. And what I learned is the first thing people usually say to me is when I, when they call me is I know what I like. I just don't know how to pull it all together. So it always amazes me that you'll spend money on your accountant, on your lawyer, on your contractor, on your architect. And then you fumble your way through the interiors of your house, which actually has more decisions to make than all of those things combined. Like when people say to me, they'll often be like, um, oh yeah, well I've got it worked out. I've got my like cabinets and my hardwood. And I'm like, base case doors, trims, cabinet hardware, door hardware, door stops, door profiles, cabinet profiles, all of your finished materials, plumbing specs, lighting specs, architectural and decorative. Did you do exterior? What about your exterior hardware? Did, like it did literally- they curl up in a ball and start crying when you kind of go at them? <laughs> They're like, oh, and then you're like, oh, your reflected ceiling plan, your power and data plan. Like, do you know where other TVs are going? What about your AV? Like, it literally is honestly endless. And this is not to discount anybody anybody else's job other than to say that you spend a lot of money inside your house on furniture and finishes and materials, but you don't hire a professional to help you do it. That how do you protect your investment? And that's what ends up happening. A lot of people make a lot of expensive mistakes and then in hindsight go, should have hired an interior designer to help me with this. Are people, we have, we have more access to information than we've ever had, which yes. doesn't mean we're going to do like, you know, do, do good with it. Are people getting more, do people realize that now? Like, are we on a journey that we really like when my wife and I moved into our current home, we're like, I don't even know where to start. Let's get a designer in and let's just start with a blank slate and get going. Yeah. And she got us going in a direction. And then my wife kind of stepped in, but I didn't know that my first house or my second house, but my third yeah. house, I'm like, okay, let's, so is it, is it a cycle that people go through or is it just personal or like, I guess are, are, are people getting better at realizing what they don't know? Or is it because we have so much information, we're just making more elaborate mistakes? <laughs> it's two things. I think there's a life cycle, which we talk about a lot when we think about vertically stacking our business, like how we can create different businesses so that we're not one business trying to be all things to all people. We have different businesses that serve different functions, right? So I think it's a life cycle of where you are. We usually, when you buy your first house, you're broke. You've spent like every penny just trying to get your mortgage, right? Like you're going to Ikea to get your sofa and your bed, right? So I think there's a life cycle thing in terms of like dispensable income. And then I, I think for sure people are way more design savvy than they ever have been. Like when you talk about like Pinterest and house and now like Wayfair and, and while I would say that a lot of the design shows have probably done our industry a bit of a disservice in some ways, like just so everybody knows, let me clear it for you here now on this podcast. 
What you see on TV is not how it can be done. It doesn't cost that. It's way more than that. They're getting shit for free. And it doesn't happen in like three days. You can't build a house in three days. Like that's not a thing. Um, so like- I, 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 re- I really appreciate that. The client that calls me up and go, this is, good. This, this is a really small project. Like, you know, it's just a website. You guys can just bang it off in a week. I'm like, who told you that? Yeah, like where did you get this information? But what it did and why, do, and why do you think it should cost this? Where did you get that from? <laughs> yes. And, but I think what it did do is it, it is people are very, like people are crazy about design shows. I don't, I don't personally watch them, but um, like there's so many like uh, real estate shows and design shows and construction shows oh, and there's shows yes, where it's, it's all it's combined. A whole, it's, it's a whole, it's a show on top of shows. And, and then they have yeah. spin up shows. The two people that were on now they have their own show. It's actually kind of nuts. It's, yeah. it's like the, it's like the chef scene and the chef's show scene. Anyways, that's a, TV. Yes. It's another world. It's not, it's not real kids. It's not real. <laughs> so you've heard it here first people. I mean, again, I great from an education standpoint, people are passionate about design. We love that. Um, it just does, our, it does a bit of a disservice when it, when we're talking about timelines and budgets. Yes. I, yeah, I, I, I could see that. Interesting. Yeah. So vertically integrating the business. So where, what's, what's, what's the road ahead? Cause you, you sound like I probably, if I talked to you five years ago or 10 years ago, you sound just as passionate as you probably, as you, as you probably were then what's on the road ahead for Amanda Hamilton. Yeah, I would say there's a big, big shift and transition happening right now. I, you know, our studio, I've got the right people in the right seats and there's not these big gaps between me and, and somebody else. And so this is something that has just sort of happened in the last um, year. And, and I'm kind of coming to that point where all entrepreneurs hope to get, it's like you hire yourself out of a job. So you're, so you're, you're actually, you're actually getting to the point where you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. My job really ultimately should be um, focusing on bringing new clients in business development strategy and those sort of C-suite items. Right. Um, but it's a weird shift to all of a sudden um, feel like you're not useful or needed anymore. I mean, I know my team would say, well, like, no, like I spend a lot of time mentoring now. My goal right now is very much to focus on like bottom up leadership. So I am there to serve my team. I'm there to educate and mentor my team. I want to release them into the design industry. They won't work for me forever. I want to put them out into the world as strong, competent, confident designers. And so that's really shifted. And and I think it's happening earlier than I had expected it to feel because I feel so like I still feel so like young and vibrant and I'm like, no, that should be happening. Like when I'm closer to retirement, but when I'm running multiple businesses, as well as a lot of uh, internal initiatives through AHID, we have a lot of sort of stacked internal initiatives um, that feed sort of different parts of our business. Um, it, it feels weird to be transitioning into that right now. And especially during, during COVID, it's like we've remained, we've been so lucky. Our industry has exploded during COVID um, and we're very, very busy and we've been able to thrive during this time. And I know that's not the case for for everyone. So I feel so lucky um, to just have this be happening right now. I do appreciate that. And it's been interesting to see the businesses that have struggled, the businesses that have, that have thrived and kind of, you know, uh, 50% 50% hard work, 50% luck. Like you can't underestimate that there is certain factors in life that you, yeah. you, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. There's all those cliche jokes, but yeah. kudos to you. How many people on your team? How big is your, how big is your group? There's seven of us in total. Yeah. So I've got, um, five, five designers, no, four designers. And then two people in more like admin, um, executive roles and then myself, but we're a very collaborative office. So, I mean, pretty much everyone in the studio touches a project at any given time, whether the client sees that or not. 
Well, again, the, it's it's the it's all smooth on the surface, but there's a lot of pieces moving around underneath from the from the client's perspective, right? Absolutely. The output. Yeah. So it sounds like a real interesting time for you for maybe a mentor. Maybe that's who you're meeting today. But because I yeah. do really appreciate the transition of hiring people, quote unquote, smarter than you to do the thing, and then you step back. And I've gone through this recently, and I'm very proud of it because I got the right people on the team. And all of a sudden, I'm like you know what, you're way better to lead this meeting than I am. I'm going to step back. And there is yeah. a bit of a psychology there back to imposter and what is my value and where can I contribute? And, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be doing quote unquote what I should be doing, but it feels weird because sometimes, you know, it's like the old days studying for an exam, but you cleaned your desk first. Okay. All right. Okay. My desk is all clean. Yeah. Now I'll go do the big heavy conceptual work. <laughs> And you yeah. move into that realm, and I read something years ago, and it was interesting, and not to go too far down, but it was about time span. They said a person's success in a role is their ability to manage tasks in the future unattended. And they had it as kind of level one, which was like three days to 30 days, level two, which is project. But they talked about CEO level and up, which was a level five. And you're thinking of things five years out so yeah. that everything you do now intersects with where you world, where you think the world's to be. It's hard to do that if you're cleaning your desk. Absolutely. You got to sit back and do it. And that's a tough transition though, because it's, you know, the higher you are in the, in the chain of that thinking, the less things are actually even on your desk because they're on your head. And I think it's particularly challenging in a creative industry when you have your name on the door because people hire us and, you know, their question is, is like, what is our access to you? And it's like, well, in a perfect world, you know, okay, well, if I was able to do that, I couldn't take on more than three to five clients a year to be able to give them the time that they need. So it's transitioning out of that and going, you know, I'm still very involved behind the scenes. I'm still high level. Um, but for me to be able to grow my business and be able to support my team and help local economy, you know, to be totally honest, you know, to grow in this industry, I have to push off that work onto other people, but it's done in a way that's very strategic, but it is challenging because it's like, nobody goes to their lawyer's office and expects the named partner to be the person working on their file. But, <laughs> no, they don't. right? I mean, unless you specifically nor, nor, ask- Nor do we want the, the $1,000 an hour bill we, that that person no, would have time. Yeah, time yeah, no, we don't want that. So, but, but it does happen in creative industries, you know, when your name's on the door. So there's definitely pros and cons to that. Um, so that's been one of our biggest challenges, you know, as I transition more and more out of being like the lead designer on, on something, you know, we always want to make sure our clients feel like they're being very well kept and they're still getting the Amanda Hamilton look and feel and experience without necessarily seeing me in every single meeting or on every single call or every single site visit. So that's, well, that's the biggest challenge. When your name elevates and stands for the experience, not the person. And that's an interesting psychology, even to say that out loud. Like, oh yeah, yeah. like we'll do a plan and yes, the Amanda Hamilton experience, but oh, well, yeah, but where's Amanda Hamilton? Like that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, I don't know your view, and I'm kind of hearing you say it, it does hold a lot of people back because they get so caught into the, well, I have to do it. It's a me, it's the me show. And it actually limits their growth and their potential. And I liked what you said. It also limits their ability to influence the community around them. Because when you're an island of, like, you can only row the boat so fast by yourself. The more people yes. you have on there and the more people you can impact from a customer perspective, the more quote unquote good you can do. But it, it's hard when it's your blood, sweat, and tears that made it what it, what it, what it was. It, it, and yeah, I would say, luckily, I'm kind of past, like, it's a little bit of the ego right being involved and being like I need to have my stamp on everything and I need to oversee everything and I need to be the person um, but when you start seeing your designers or the people that are working with you have that experience themselves it's really rewarding and then when the clients have had an incredible experience like you said it's it's about having the experience associated with the name without necessarily having that that person involved that's that's incredibly rewarding you know, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, it also allows us to service more like at any given time we have, you know, between 35 and 40 projects on the go. 
That's a lot for a small studio. So we that take a lot, a lot of moving a, parts. Yeah, we take an agency approach. So we approach our business like we're a big agency, but you're getting a boutique experience. And that's that's really ultimately how we're able to maintain that. Um, but again, it goes back to the clients. We have such amazing clients that it's like they they trust and allow us to to take a different approach this way and and they and they trust and allow, you know, to work work with the other designers that are in the studio. I had a creative director say to me years ago, you, you, you get 100% of the clients you deserve. And in our industry, there's always, the, oh, if we had better clients, we could do better work. Or, hey, maybe do better work and you'll get better clients. I always, it always yeah. stuck with me and I loved it. He was kind of a bit of a curmudgeon old creative director. And he's like, ah, yeah, you, everyone says they don't have good clients. But if they're not doing work to get the good clients, well, then, you know. So to hear you talk about how, you know, quote unquote, great and amazing your clients are, you've clearly earned their trust and earned that. So, you know, kudos to you because it does become a cycle, like yeah. it has a snowball effect in the right, in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And of course, it doesn't mean we do everything perfect. We all make mistakes. But uh, one thing I have to say is consistently like we just yeah, we we have such wonderful people that come to us to help them and kind of guide guide the ship on their on their home renovations or builds or whatever they're working on. What blend for you is uh, commercial versus residential? Oh, we always get asked this. And I think that the big thing that's different about our business, and I think, again, this goes back to my big focus on strategy, is a lot of design firms only work in one industry. And then within that industry, it's very specific. So maybe they only do office design or they do 90% office design, something like that. Um, what has allowed us to get through the nine bazillion, quadrillion uh, recessions we've been through? Okay, it's like four, but still. Um, through this period it's, it's is more, that it's more, it's more than I'd want it to be. I'm with you on that. Yeah. With you on yeah. That. But, it, but when one industry ebbs, another sort of flows, right? So I would say, obviously right now, everybody is sitting at home, working from home. There's a big focus on residential right now, but prior to that, you know, we were actually getting a lot of commercial work. And so mm, I, I, I actually, I actually don't know. It's actually a metric I don't often look at only because it really, it sort of doesn't matter to us. We work in three different industries. We have our residential, our commercial, and our developers. And then underneath each of those industries, there's like subsections. So it's like, we do vacation properties, we do penthouses, we do renovations, we do new home builds, we do um, furniture and accessories installs. And so it just sort of flows and it's all based on the market, but it has saved us. It has saved our asses when the market dumps and no one's buying a home and doing custom homes, well, then people start doing renovations, right? Yeah. I, I appreciate that. So from an economic perspective and one of my, my other, my, my other, my other part, part-time job doing uh, collisions YYC, we talk always about economic transformation in Calgary yeah. and what's going on, pros and cons. What are you seeing? So obviously you're seeing a lot of activity, homeowners, people investing into their existing properties, not necessarily, I know there's been lots of movement in home purchases, yeah. but I guess from a, your, your window into the economy, kind of what, what are you seeing from a positive or even negative perspective mm -hmm. right now? I would say that generally our industry will feel a trickle down effect. So when, when, when like we w first were going through all of the oil and gas and there was the big layoffs, a lot of our clients were engineers and worked in oil and gas, right? So there's usually a bit of a trickle down. They may have signed with us and then a project goes on hold or they've got to wrap it up. Um, but what I'm finding now is a lot of our clients, as the market starts to stabilize a little bit more, our clients are, um, you know, doctors, finance, lawyers. These are these are often all uh, essential services in a circumstance like this. And I think, and absolutely, it's been devastating. A lot of people have lost their jobs, but there is a lot of people that have also been working full time or more. I would argue that are very very busy that have worked all through this. 
they haven't been spending their money, A, because they're working all the time, B, they're not yep. traveling, they're not buying clothes and things like that because they're not leaving their house, they're in like their sweatpants every single day, they're not eating out, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a lot of places and so- 100%, there's I, some really interesting research on how savings in certain certain sectors, the, the, the fortunate sectors has gone up drastically over the last 10 months. Yeah, and just in, as an example of, you know, like let's say it's it's two executives and they, they're each pulling in $200,000 a year or something. There's a joint $400,000 that they're literally like, other than their fixed expenses, that they're not spending on anything. Your your fixed expenses have kind of, or your variable expenses every month have have gone down dramatically. So I think that's what's happening. And and that can be extrapolated to somebody who makes $50,000 a year, $30,000 a year. Like yep. you're just not spending what you used to be spending. And so people now are investing and in going, I have the time, energy, and, and um, ability to invest into my home. So... You know, and because of that, construction is insanely busy. The other thing people don't realize is construction is basically essential service. So our sites, we have seven, I think we have seven active construction sites. I don't even know. I I, I know Nancy who works for me is crazy busy right now. Um, I love that you have an amazing team that knows, like there's someone on my team that knows exactly down to the, the nails of what's going on, but I don't. That's awesome. Yeah, Nancy's taking care of the projects. I mean, I know the clients, but I'm like, I don't know exactly how many numbers we're working on, but like our trades are busy. But they're also hungry and they're super thankful and grateful to be. Uh, which I, I, right I, Calgary now. needed a little more hunger, in my opinion. So I'm, yeah. I'm a kind of, I'm kind of okay with that, like the shift. I do yeah. love what you said about like economically, but also in the last ten months, it's what people value has shifted. Going on yeah. the next trip, and I was talking to a friend the other day. Is like all my friends that love to trip brag, and we all do it with each other. Oh, what's your next trip? Like that's not happening anymore. So now we're like. Oh, well, let me tell you about my new puppy or my reno, or maybe like, it's just so funny how it's changed of what all of a sudden has become important, which is, I think a little more closer to home, closer to family, closer to more human things sometimes. Yeah. Like I laugh. I'm like, who, who would have thought like, this is the thing. None of us knew how COVID was going to affect certain industries. You just didn't like, do you think the breeders were sitting there being like, better start getting mama and papa going because people are going to buy dogs left, right and center. Like I wouldn't have guessed that. And honestly, I would have thought that people would have stopped spending money on interior design because it's considered a premium service, right? Yeah. But that's actually not the case. And again, I, I want to be clear in saying that six months from now, we could be totally fucked. I have no idea. Like all <laughs> I, you know what I mean? We, we generally feel I, a trickle-down effect. Like we feel a trickle-down effect. All I can do is I viewed... Um, COVID as a distraction. I did not decide to pivot for the sake of pivoting. Everything that I did, I continued to do and keep a vision of moving forward. Um, I think there are right times to pivot. Um, I think there are right times to stay the course. So let's make sure that we're all making decisions that are very intentional, knowing that it's not going to be COVID forever, right? We're all going to come out of this and any money that you borrowed is going to have to get paid back, right? Yeah. There, 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 there was some pushing things down the road with the idea that it'll just go away. It does, it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. And we, and while we did take advantage of some of these things, we did them in a way to set ourselves up for success for later, right? So we, we took that, you know, we took those funds and we turned around and gave it back to the government or whatever, right? So it's like if you're in the if you're in the position to be able to do that, that's going to set you up for success in future, which I like what you said about like, we're thinking down the road. We're thinking about like, what does it look like next year when everybody's been vaccinated and we're coming out of this and our economy has been decimated, right? Which it's being decimated right now. 
Yes, it is. Again, I want to be also, and you said it, very sensitive to there's a lot of people that have done well and there's a lot of people that have not done well. And yeah. a lot of people that have been punished to absolutely no fault of their own. And we're in this together. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah. all, this is a shared human shitty experience. I look at it, you know, again, a lot of my friends are entrepreneurs and a lot of them are in the hospitality industry. And I, I know, I know how hard it was just from the economy in Calgary and globally going into COVID. It, the fact that people have lost everything, everything, like, I mean, an entrepreneur can understand that more than anything. You've lost all your savings. You've lost your business. You've lost your vision. It's like, as an entrepreneur, that makes me incredibly emotional because I'm just like, I can't imagine being in a position that's that desperate. So it's like, I'm actually getting emotional. Like we're on video right now. So Tyler's seeing it, but I'm just like, I feel so grateful, but I think we can't forget like how dramatically some of these people have been affected. No, I, I, yeah. I, I agree. And to think about being in business and as, as, as fellow entrepreneurs, I feel so many things are in my control. If something goes wrong or we lose a client, I think that's my fault. This yeah. showed up and it was nobody's fault. Yeah. Like people lost their businesses because an external factor, a meteor came in and destroyed their world. And it's nothing that they did wrong. Yeah. I personally have such a hard time with that. Like if I blow a client or we do something wrong. That's on you then. You, it's we, on you. We fucked up. But when something from an external force comes in and makes you feel powerless, like, and then destroys your savings and your dreams and your vision and kills your mojo, like that is just like, that's a devastating yeah. feeling. Like that's probably one of my biggest fears have something go drastically wrong in my life that I have no say in what the, Oh my God. I, can't my head even, wants to explode I know I can't, I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Like when I think about the gyms and the restaurants and the people that I know that run them yeah. and, and the government is just like, you can't open like I, I just, I, I can't, I can't even imagine that. Like I would probably be the person that would be like, find me because this, I've put, I've put so, every, so you and I are doing back alley deals to keep things going. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like, you know, you're not allowing me to earn a living in the same way that like, okay, you can do a non-compete with somebody, but you can't prevent them from earning a living. This is the same thing. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, without all that said, I don't know what to say. I mean, I just, I just keep saying to people, like, just trying to keep perspective, like that, that this too shall pass. I know it's a cliche thing to say, but it actually is something that I remind myself of. And, um, I do have a mantra that I've, I've, people have heard me say before, but it's like, will this matter in five seconds, five minutes, five days, five weeks, five months, you know, COVID, um, I am hoping like, obviously it's not a five months thing. Let's also hope it's not a five years thing, but you know, five quarters, you know, can we get through five quarters? Can we last to five quarters and go, you know, we, we got through this. Um, and then ultimately just to say that like as entrepreneurs and, and fellow business owners, we just have to support each other and making sure that like people who have been dramatically affected during this time, like it's like support them to the best that you can. Yes. Get it, get, get involved and be local, be supportive. And if you're in a privileged position, use, use that to raise the people around you. Cause we're going to be out of this sooner than later. That's my belief. Yeah. And that'll quickly repay our, in our community in, in spades for sure. Like we're, we're, we're not, we're not on our own individual islands. We're kind of, we're on this little island all together. Well, and, and if we don't one. support those businesses, they won't exist when we return to whatever normal is going to look like. Right. Oh, no, and I don't want to live in that world where there's boarded up sh like local shops on the corner of my street. Like that's, I have no, it, that sucks. I don't I don't want that. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda, we got quite deep and philosophical. I know. Right? So I even got, I don't think I've ever gotten emotional on a podcast where I was like, oh, it just like, it kills me. And I think because I just know people around me that have, are really struggling. And I, 
I, again, feel so grateful that we're in this position, but then also understand the responsibility that we have to try to support those people as best as we can and advocate on their behalf. I know I, I appreciate that perspective of like the, the person, the responsibility to support those around us and not, yeah. not to take your privilege or what, you know, happened to be that you were lucky through this and not help the people that were very unlucky to no fault of their own. And that, yeah. And in six like, months, maybe we'll have like no jobs and I'll be on a podcast called like how you lost everything. I mean, that's just the life of the entrepreneur, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we laugh it off and we have a glass of wine and we move on. with our Yeah. Day. Well, you know, you saw the, the wine behind me. I did. That's a nice thing about Zoom. You get to peek into people's homes or yeah, you know, it's like my messy, is. my messy counter and all my my book notes on my fridge and. No, oh, I like the notes though. Yeah, it was very, that was very on brand for everything yeah. we're talking about. I'll <laughs> screenshot that. And thank you so much, one for just being honest and just having a. I love candor. Candor is my favorite thing. I hate. I, I, I'm not a fan of not real conversations and this was super real and authentic and kudos to you for what you've created, your honesty and just how you, you show up in such a human way. And I think that to me, that's a huge underpinning factor of your success. So this is me just pumping your tires, but well, I really you. loved our conversation. Thank you. And I, and I thought you, you really, you really brought a level of honesty that again, I met you years ago and that was the person I met then. And you're, and you're just a, you're just a more refined version of that person now. <laughs> I thought. I've done a few podcast, a few podcasts under my belt now because podcasts I don't think existed twelve years ago, did they? Like I have no idea. Who who isn't a fucking podcaster these days? <laughs> that's another that's another story. Jesus, get a microphone and you're all of a sudden a podcast. It's uh, anyways. I would do this if no one listened because I get to have amazing conversations with people like you. So hey, what's uh, I'm sure people picked up on it by now, but what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, okay, so Instagram um, at Ahid Studio or um, online AmandaHamiltonDesign.com. Uh, for Palette Archives, we're at Palette Archives or PalletteArchives.com. And yeah, of course, I'm like, I'm going to pump my book right now, September 28th, 2021. Not that likable at first. Um, actually, sorry, we dropped the at first. Not that likable. Um, but just going to be careful with working titles because they, they tend to find their way all the way through the end. I know. I know. That's the funny thing because we did launch like that for first. So I, I would love, obviously, everybody to support support me there. It's been quite a quite a journey. So if you follow us online, you'll you'll probably get some some news about that. Well, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it out there. You want to uh, get us a copy? We'll give it away to our audience. We'll give it away to our fans. Would so, hundred percent. Like part of why I do the show is also to support amazing local stories and get them out there. And Calgarians, unlike you, you're good at telling your own story. So many businesses here don't. They're so busy doing the thing they don't tell their story. So anytime that we can elevate, and there's so many good things going on in the city amongst the bad headlines and amongst the negativity over the last five years. Yeah. that's we, we got to tell them because it's not all. It's not all doom and gloom. No. There is amazing entrepreneurship in this city that I think rivals anywhere in Canada. And actually. resiliency, like that's one thing I have to say about Alberta and Calgary specifically, like, holy man, we have some resilient people here um, and and ha that have been tested over and over and over again, you know, um, over the course of the last decade or, or more, honestly, to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah. we would get a very high degree on the grit, the grit scale. We got, we got grit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Calgary's I'm now, you, and I could, you and I could keep going all day. Thank <laughs> you so much for taking the time. I'll let you get back to your very, very busy world, but it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for the chat. Thank you.